0: The following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show to find out more, contact us, and contribute towards a positive future.
1: OK, you're here with Scotty on Community Radio Two X behind the lines. Hey, I hope you're doing well out there in end-of-the-year land. We are joined in the studio by uh, by Ellie Gilbert. How are you, Ellie?
2: I'm good, Scotty. Nice hey. to see you.
1: Yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, how's your uh, holiday period been going?
2: Uh, well, it's busy times. We <laughs> catch up with lots of things and we've got lots of grandkids. And, um, <laughs> Great. The struggle doesn't stop in holiday time. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't.
1: Just, uh, yeah, just the... Yes, yes, a lot of other things, but, uh, right, right, now, um, I guess a good place to start, um, longer term listeners will be familiar with the, uh, the Lake Cowell, um, the Lake Cowell fight, out uh, sort of four hours northwest of here, um, near, near Forbes and West Wyalong and such, uh, how have the floods affected, um, well I suppose we should just introduce Lake Cowell, for those who aren't long term listeners, shouldn't we, what is Lake
2: Cowell? Um, Lake Hale is a jewel in the landscape. It's an ephemeral lake right in the very middle of New South Wales. It sits between the Lachlan-Kalara River and the Murrumbidgee. And it's ephemeral uh, and over time it looks like it works on a 20-year cycle. So 10 years of water and 10 years of dry and averages in between. Mm-hmm. And it's been dry since uh, for 10 years, and we've been trying to stop a cyanide-leaching gold mine um, from foreign mining companies. It's now owned by Barrick Gold, which is based in Toronto, Canada, owned by Peter Monk. And because I married into Wiradjuri in that area, I had a fairly good idea what The lake was about how important it was, and it's no place to put a cyanide leaching gold mine. (laughs) (laughs) Because when it floods floods and the big floods come, um, that area becomes an inland sea. So when Oxley was exploring in the 1800s, he thought he'd found the inland sea. It was such a vast expanse of water. And I read up all the stuff on flood mitigation, and the departments of water all admitted um, they can't mitigate a big flood so it's not the place to bring in 6,090 tonnes of sodium cyanide every year to heap leach gold. Apart from the fact um, the mining company's desecrating a sacred site, Lake Cowell Sacred, and um, with Neville Williams and um, people at Kondoblin, that's 80 kilometres north of Lake Cowell, that's where the Aboriginal community is of traditional owners there, Um, many people tried to stop the mine and the whole area is is or was covered in artefacts and we tried to use the New South Wales um, National Parks and Wildlife Act to protect the artefacts because it, the place was absolutely covered with them and it's a sacred area. But that, as people now know the Act is one for protection and destruction so it doesn't matter what you do or how you consult in the end the Director General of National Parks makes a Unilateral decision, yes, there can be a consent to destroy and not even the minister um, can revoke it. That is the state of the legislation in New South Wales. But because we um, took the mining company on, they ended up having to GPS the artefacts they were picking up and they got to about 2,500 and stopped giving us the inventory. But recently we've just got a supporter to enter the data into a spreadsheet and then my son's been able to plot where the artifacts are and it just shows you know as we know because we saw them artifacts everywhere Um, but where the tailings dams are the tailings dams are set back from the lake Um, first of all i should say the pit they're digging is about a kilometer in diameter and they've gone down to about 200 meters and they want to go another 200 it's just crazy Uh, the tailings dams are set back a couple of kilometres but they're each uh, one kilometre square and in that area it was gilgais and gilgais are like mini wetlands little circles of depression across the countryside so when it's wet they become mini wetlands and it must have been the most amazing place to camp because it was covered in grinding stones and axe heads and tools unbelievably so so many that the archaeologist who was actually trained in Toronto where the mining company comes from, Colin Pardot, who was employed by Barrick Gold, um, there were so many artefacts there. All he did, he, he did 10 metre square quadrats, uh, recorded what was in there, left the stones in a heap and then the consent to destroy got signed, which is an absolute crime um, because Lake Cow's one of the oldest lakes in the world. The are probably some of the oldest peoples and people in the world, and we're we're desecrating an area uh, equal to um, Uluru and where the West Australian gas plant wants to go, and where they want to build the bridge in Tasmania. So these are extraordinary records of humanity and Lake Cow is sort of in a way a bit similar to Lake Mungo but it's still a functioning lake and there's still a functioning community belonging to it whereas Mungo gets all the press <laughs> but if people really looked at Lake Cow, they would find it's as old if not older and who knows what else is there. We also know um, now that a, a skeleton was found way down in the pit one archaeologist just dismissed it saying it couldn't be possible whereas there are also tunnels through that country and so that's what the old people have told us there's good and bad out there and by disturbing it it then creates incredible mental harm to the group which is a factor of genocide so the whole community is actually suffering now for what's going on so that's a little introduction to Lake Cow and the story doesn't stop because now after a drought we have massive rain and um, Chappie flew over the mine uh, with some photographers on the 21st of November. And those photographs are up on the website now. We've got a website back up, um, www.savelakecal.org, uh, where you can see those aerial photographs. And the water then was lapping at the walls of the mine because the, the bund wall they put around the pit, which actually goes... The pit was actually... Half of the pit is part of the lake bed then they build a wall, um, they have no idea how much this country can flood. So those the photographs you see at the moment is when the lake's 70% full and that's before this last lot of rain. And since the photographs, um, Cowra, the Lachlan-Kalara River at Cowra was 12 metres high, Forbes it's been 9 metres high. Uh, Yagara on Mandadgery Creek has flooded four times in a month, up to nine metres. Yes, so the Last mass- week it
1: was flooding. Last yeah. week yeah. it's
2: flooded again, so, massive amounts of water are going down the river. And there's uh, um, Humbug Creek, which the EIS managed to leave out, uh, we believe, because it's strategic. Humbug Creek links the uh, area of the tailings dams to, uh, it, it sort of meanders northwest. Um, to the river, um, but it's called Humbug Creek because it'll flow both ways. So if the lake's high, it'll flow northwest to the river. But if the river's higher than the lake, which is what I think is going to happen, it'll flow southeast back to the area of the tailings dams. So very soon we'd like to do another flight over and see what's happening.
1: Yeah, that's right. So if there's any pilots out there or...
2: Yeah, we've got Will a pilot. We, we just yeah. need the money, that's all, <laughs> and okay. we'll, we'll go out.
1: Yeah, so there, are there any reports of what's happened since November? There, uh,
2: yeah, I went out there a little while ago um, just on the ground and the water birds were coming back, the stilts and whatever. Yeah, well, how, many, just, how many
1: how water birds might you expect in a full lake cow?
2: In a full lake cow, um, people, if people really want to know, they should look up the work of Vestiens, who was a CSIRO scientist, and unfortunately he died. Yeah. Um, too early but he has done the main longitudinal study of a uh, inland ephemeral lake in australia and it was Lake cow so we have records of the numbers of birds that come and they come in their thousands like 20,000 30,000 and they breed there and they feed there and they build their nests because the lignum is um lignum's like a tangleweed it's a bit like a blackberry bush without the leaves it's okay. a very wiry thing, so when the water comes up through the lignum, it becomes a structure for the nests. And the only good thing that's happening out there at the moment is because the mining company in the drought couldn't get enough water, they bought up the um, agricultural land to get the water licences to then pollute. But it meant the farmers are no longer ploughing the lake bed for wheat, and uh, part of part of the lake bed was never ploughed cane grass and lignum, but the bits that were ploughed are no longer ploughed and the lignum's coming back so the lake bed's regenerating just happens to have a massive sarnide leaching gold line next door <laughs> but yes. it's quite interesting to see like it's about oh, two metres high already, the lignum Yeah, so right. after all this rain it, it be... shows the power of regeneration um, so yeah. yeah, I think comes next September there'll be a lot of waterbirds
1: there yeah, great, great Now,
2: I should just say that uh, there's a list of all the threatened species and that'll be up on the website soon. Um, It's been up before. Um, A huge number of threatened species live at Lake Howe and it totally warranted being protected and it's only sort of the corrupt planning of New South Wales (laughs) Mm. (laughs) enabled it to happen. And there's now, um, they want to expand the mine Double the size and double the life, and they've used this 3A of the Planning Act to try and do it. And uh, basically, the bigger the project, the less public scrutiny. But now the ICAC, the Independent Commission Against Corruption, has investigated this 3A of the Planning Act and said it's totally wrong, totally corrupt, should not ever happen. And that's what we've been challenging the expansion of the mine under. So. There are a few <laughs> powers that be <laughs> realising, I think, how absurd this, this planning is. And, I mean, look at the floods now. You can't blame the country. The country always floods and has drought and fire. But if you build your houses in the wrong place,
1: um, yeah.
2: and sooner or later you get got. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, so what's a cyanide leach gold mine?
2: It's an environmental disaster waiting to happen it became popular in recent times because some crazy chemist in germany just worked out how to make sodium cyanide more cheaply so it became economic Uh, and basically it works uh, on lower grade ore gold ore and the cyanide is um, imported in a powder form from gladstone it's made in gladstone by orica and it comes down like a third or fourth world railway system to sydney and then because the lines don't match up it gets trucked across sydney in the most busy part of australia on the highways and then it goes out on the western line to dubbo and it's just shipped in those um containers and it's a powder but when it's mixed with water it's highly toxic it's what Um, Hitler used in the concentration camps. So 2% solution, a teaspoonful of a 2% solution will kill a human. And I did do the maths once, but I can't remember the answer. But you can work out how many people could get killed with one year's supply of sodium cyanide, 6,090 tonnes. So the cyanide has a way of um, releasing the gold from the rock, basically, and um, then it gets separated and they make gold bullion. But in the process, by digging out, it's something like now they've worked out it's 70 tonnes of waste rock for an ounce of gold, which is huge.
1: 70 tonnes to an ounce.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And this rock is then exposed to air, which releases arsenic. And arsenic is as bad as cyanide because it's cumulative and it builds up through the... Um, food chain and uh, this mine is in the breadbasket of Australia Wiradjuri country The uh, Lachlan and Kalara and Murrumbidgee rivers are the breadbasket for a large part of Australia and and they're just putting this in the same project and the profits essentially go overseas to Canada Don't yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. and that we've just seen at Captain's Flat here um, when the rain started that flooded Queanbeyan They had a, because I was watching to see where the water was going, they had a red alert on the dam at Captain's Flat, which is an old mining town. And Mm. as we say, the community pays the price decades down the track. So um, they had a red alert on the dam because the water was building up behind it and had it breached, it would have totally flooded Captain's Flat and and there could have been human lives lost because there's a lot of water. And the community is living in fear of that dam breaching. Well, it's,
1: it's just upstream of the whole town, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I live, we used to live upstream of that dam and I I looked at the pollution there and it has some of the highest level, lead levels of any water in Australia and I got onto state pollution control as it was years ago and I said, well, what's the answer? And they said, there is no answer. The only answer is to divert the river away from the reservoir. From the <laughs> so if it <laughs> breaches its it's a catastrophe, and it's the same with Lake Cow. They're going to end up, unless we can halt them, with tailings dams 15 storeys high made out of the contaminated sludge and left on the floodplain forever. And who's going to pick up the pieces when the dams breach?
1: So I guess what you're saying is the, uh, the, the ore is dug up and crushed up and it's treated with this stuff to make all of the, all of the metals, I guess, soluble in the, in the ore itself. So then with this water-soluble stuff fall through it, you make a great big pile in the middle of a lake bed and leave it there.
2: No, the pile um, is not on the lake bed. It's about two or three kilometres west of the edge of the lake. But in a major flood, it does become a lake, becomes an inland sea. And I actually predict we will get photos of the tailings dams just sitting up above surrounded by water because um, my old sister-in-law ended up living with an old guy who's recently died and he worked all that area, an old Aboriginal man, he'd worked all that area with the farmers and irrigating and he'd say sometimes it would take half a day for the water to go across a paddock because it's so old and complex hydrology, it would go down and fill up aquifers and sometimes with little aquifers just beneath the surface, you could hear the, if you dropped a stone, you could hear the, it just like a tank of water. And he knew that country like the back of his hand and he'd seen the floods and I said to him one day, I said, you know, well, where does the water really go? And he says, well, it goes to the railway line, which is back behind the west of the tailings dams and he says it goes straight out to Manor Mountain. He's seen a sheet of water straight out to Manor Mountain, which is about 20 k's north. And that whole country goes under and we are in a wet period, so it remains to be seen what happens.
1: Mm, well, cross your fingers, I suppose. What What would happen if if those if those places got sort of into the water?
2: It's well, as we've always said, it's a disaster waiting to happen. It would be as bad as the Tiza River in Romania. Uh, and once the toxins get out, they um, they kill fish. They kill. They kill <laughs> right down the river and how you clean that up i don't know and in a way there's no answer because they're creating a poison up in gladstone and what can you do with the toxin you can't put it anywhere because you just put it on someone else's country
0: yeah you've got
2: these huge
1: so c- piles of stuff that you've yeah. made
2: yeah so and it's all for gold which it's 97 percent of it is used for jewelry so it's a luxury good um Some is used in the medical industry and some is used um, in the electronics industry. And when Chappie and I were in New York for the um, UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, we went to the Federal Reserve and you go down five stories onto the bedrock of Manhattan Island Where all the gold is kept Because I thought it would be good for Chappie Just to see what the end product is (laughs) And there's 7,000 tonnes of gold Sitting on the bedrock of Manhattan Island All locked up in little jail cages With numbers on it And then when one country Buys gold off someone else They push it along in a wheelbarrow And put it in the other cage Oh no (laughs) (laughs) This is the absurd And there's enough gold above the surface Not to ever have to dig up another gold mine let alone destroy sacred sites.
1: Mm, well, we'll have a bit of a break, and then perhaps we can uh, move on to other cheery subjects. For sure. Well, you're here on community radio two double X ninety eight point three FM. We're joined in the studio by Ellie Gilbert, and uh, you wanted to mention uh, a little bit more about the uh, about the Lake Cowell thing.
2: Uh, yes, just hoping there's some environmentalists or concerned people who might want to help. Um, with a water sampling program because now's the time to get the baseline of the uh, water quality um, during the flood, after the flood and hopefully before there's ever a breach in the tailings dams. We trust it won't happen, but if there is, we need to have the baseline data first. Um, so if if there are people who would like to um, make contact, you um, can phone me. Oh, the number's 0421 and leave a message if I'm out of range. And there's an email, Save Lake Cowl, and Cowl spelt C O W A L, savelakecowl at yahoo.com. And for more information, there's now the website uh, up again, www.savelakecowl.org. So we look forward to having some volunteers, hopefully.
1: And that was Tidus with "Sing About Life" and a very tricky little sneak song there, my brown skin baby. They take him away. That certainly surprised us here in the studio. Uh, right, Ellie Gilbert is here, and uh, yes, yes, we're, we're um, gonna catch up with the uh, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Uh, what's Well, I guess first uh, introduce the uh, the declaration. What, what is a declaration? When the UN declares something, is it like me just thumping the table at the dinner table? Yes,
2: it's, it's no, as they say, it's got no legal consequence, they're keen to point out. But the reality is uh, it's, it's a work that's been in progress for over 30 years. It was initiated by the global Aboriginal movement, and uh, it got to the stage where um, the global movement put up a, uh, a text. It took them eight years, I think, to do. And then it had to go through the states, the um, nation states, the parties of the UN, uh, who spent more than a decade, longer more than a decade, trying to dilute it. So there was this toing and froing um, And it was a, it's a very dynamic process. Um, I was fortunate to be at some of the meetings and uh, horrified to see the way Australia was, in the lead trying to stop self-determination coming through which i think speaks volumes for the status of this country to fight so hard
1: we're often in the leading in the wrong direction yes Um,
2: (laughs) and in the end uh, it got put to a vote in the general assembly and i think it surprised australia and new zealand and canada and america because all the other countries voted yes or a, a few abstained and the main sort of in a way, there's still the colonial countries, Brit- um, not Britain actually, <laughs> uh, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and America uh, voted against it. And we formed a working group here in Canberra, Working Group for Aboriginal Rights, with the main purpose of getting Australia to um, endorse the declaration. And one thing went, led to another, and it worked. It, we started with a I mean there are a whole lot of other people working as well but our little, <laughs> our little part of it was uh we got it through um uh alp um the, like the grassroots meeting it went up as a resolution it ended up at the national conference before kevin rudd was elected so it became an election policy uh, after that the declaration went through the general assembly and John Howard and Mal Bruff were saying, oh, no, no, this is terrible, you know, we're not going to support it. And Kevin Rudd or um, his off-sider piped up and said, oh, well, if we get in, we'll support it. And they got in and they didn't support it for more than 12 months, but in the end they did, which was good. Definitely. And since then, uh, the other countries have come on board and finally last month... Um, President Obama was meeting with the tribal nations in America and he's agreed to endorse it too. So basically it's there and now the task is to get it implemented. Anyone can find it on the web now. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not new rights in any way. It's, based, it's the rights that all peoples are entitled to but are the rights that Indigenous Aboriginal people have been denied. And um, years ago, um, I mean, the UN has many faults, but it also has some advantages. Um, They looked at the most disadvantaged peoples in the world and they were the Aboriginal people. And then they had to look at why they are the most disadvantaged and it's because the rights due are denied. And that's exactly what's happening in this country. Um, We now have the declaration in place. They say it has no legal teeth but it's based on the conventions that Australia has signed up to. So they're not new rights and they're the rights that um, come through the other conventions like um, uh, economics, social and cultural rights and civil and political rights, all of those ones. So I think you could argue they are legally there because we've, signed on to them and now to get it implemented is the task and it's in no way the final answer because we all believe in the sovereignty argument and aboriginal people still own this country but if those rights are implemented properly we're part way to a major solution for aboriginal people in this country
1: mm, so what, what does actually implementing it mean it still remains um... it
2: means that before any development takes place aboriginal people have to give free prior and informed consent it's consultation means nothing because what all they like but um people say no 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 they just at the end say yes so free prior and informed consent means people know what they're consenting to fully it means it has to be translated into the primary language and uh, no storing of toxic or hazardous waste on Aboriginal land without pre foreign, informed consent. It's uh, so the right to self-determination. That's Article 3, which is the main one, um, and that was strongly defended. Uh, there are actually 44 articles and it goes um, through basically the basic human rights, but the difference is it's not looking at human rights on an individual basis. It's looking at human rights as a community basis, and that's Britain particularly fought hard to So we only recognise individual human rights. But people um, succeeded. And and I think it's for our generation and the generations to come to really um, value the culture that's of this land, the culture that knew how to live with flood, fire and drought and maintain the diversity of the ecosystems, which is not what this colonial regime is doing at the moment, as we can see.
1: No, no, it's all about making a quick buck, really. Yeah. We are on two double X, and so are you, I presume, if you're all listening. Ellie Gilbert's in the studio. I'm Scotty. You're listening to Behind the Lines. The time, the time is ten thirty-two, and uh, yeah, we're going to uh, we're going to chat a little bit more. There's uh, there's uh, a bit more. Well. Of course, there's some action going on in the courts. (laughs) What's happening at the moment?
2: Well, as always, but uh, apart from Lake Cow, uh, there's an interesting High Court writ which was filed on the 8th of December, um, actually by a group of white lawyers, and we haven't quite got their names yet, but I'm sure it's available at the High Court. Um, But basically they've taken a case... Along the lines of what Aboriginal people have argued for a long time and also my old husband, Kevin Gilbert, would say you can't take a land by massacre and genocide. And what these people have done, um, and they're not Aboriginal, is to say the people of Australia have been frauded because Australia doesn't actually have a legal standing as an international state this is their claim and it's going to be i think this will come up in january or probably february so i'm just alerting people Mm -hmm. um they they're arguing that australia doesn't have international legal status and there's a lot of confusion and um, you can google they've they put a submission into the un called the concealed colony so um and there's a lot of documents in that but the High Court writ essentially is saying that um, the Commonwealth of Australia is actually um, registered under the American Securities Commission. Uh, it's not an entity that we would imagine <laughs> we, we <are> being, <laughs> we're living under. Right. And now, what, what
1: does that actually mean if you're entered in the American Securities Commission?
2: Well, this is why I think people just need to open their minds and pay attention to this because it'll be going on in the High Court in 2011 so the number uh with the securities commission of the commonwealth of australia is 40805157 five and i did look it up last year and it's true <laughs> <laughs> for people who, who wonder and uh, uh, another extraordinary thing is that the states are subsidiary companies so they have ABNs. So New South Wales, for example, is 066561153. The state of Vic- Victoria ABN is 054558619. West Australia, South Australia. as For some reason, the ACT is anyone which isn't. Uh, the trustees of the Northern Territory Government have an ABN, 09059854. So um, it's like the movements are converging because aboriginal people have always said we still own this country, sovereignty's never been ceded. And it's in a way looking as though um the way they got around it so they can trade and all these things is to go through America. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just I'm just airing it for people and to also say that um Uh, Michael Anderson's calling another uh, New Way Summit in Canberra. He's the last survivor of the ones who set up the Aboriginal Embassy here, which, and as people would know, the Embassy has always stood for the sovereignty position. So he's called a meeting in um, the first weekend of February, the 5th, 6th, and the Monday, the 7th of February, um, to, you know, look at what's happening and what the options are um, now that this High Court writ has taken place, but also you know, what, what the process of decolonisation is for Aboriginal people so he's, he's um, got a phone number if people want to get more information 0427 292 492 and just leave a message if he's out of range because he's about to be flooded out yet again I think on the <laughs> New South Wales Queensland border um, but, yeah, so that's particularly for Aboriginal people to gather and discuss things, but I think I'm pretty sure sincere supporters are welcome as well. So it's the first weekend of February, come to Canberra. It's the weekend before Parliament starts, so it's always a strategic time. Yes, yes. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, soul-searching to do.
1: Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: Ah, uh, I'd like to wish everybody Happy New Year and hope um, some sense comes into government next year and we start to care for country like we should care for country. And maybe the planners will stop planning... So these poor people suffering floods are not actually buying homes in flood-prone areas, or if they are, they're built on stilts from now on, or something. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, just, It'd just be nice a to have call.
1: some sort of plan from the planner, wouldn't it? Yeah,
2: just some call for sanity. I think in the way we look after the country and ourselves.
1: Mm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us.
2: All right. Thank you, Scotty, and happy new year to everybody.
0: You have been listening to an episode of a line in the sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities, Canberra (Co-Canberra for short), the New Economy Network of Australia, or Nina, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2xfm.org.au, where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at co-canberra.org.au. That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A A.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up Liberapay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects, and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.